What a special time of worship uh, to have our acoustic players. Did you, were you blessed by that? I'll say that. Say it that way. Very, very blessed. Thank you, worship team. Take some extra work uh, to bring that together. We are in a series uh, that I'm calling Building Back Boulder. Uh, and uh, just to orient us, we're, we're talking all about rebuilding, times of rebuilding in our lives. Uh, but we're set at a point in biblical history that's just profound and amazing. Uh, the exile to Babylon was in 586 B.C., and about 40,000 Jews were captured and taken away, exiled to Babylon. Uh, it was a judgment that God had allowed at that time. And so uh, they were there for 48 years, and then uh, we have the return. Uh, and it's two generations that have passed, nearly uh, a little bit more than two generations at that time, and about 50,000 returned, and about 80,000 stayed behind. That means they were pretty busy having babies, weren't they? They had a couple of generations to, uh, to multiply there. But their purpose was very singular. The purpose was to rebuild the temple. Uh, that was the call of God. And, and in a fascinating way, God had put that call upon the heart of an unusual person, Cyrus, the king of Persia. He was a pagan. He wasn't a believer. But he's the one who said, now the, the God of the, of the Hebrews, the God of uh, of Jerusalem has told me to let you folks go, uh, to send you back, uh, because you're supposed to rebuild the temple of worship, the place of worship for him. So that was the purpose. They got there, and it was not easy. Of course it wasn't easy. I mean, the place was a wreck. It was rubble. And they had to settle into their towns in Judea around Jerusalem. Uh, but there was more than that. Last week we uh, learned that they were dealing with adversaries. Uh, and those uh, of the people of the land that began to come in and, and work against the, the progress that they might have made. And there were these five different types of adversaries. And, and I don't know about you, but they seem pretty familiar when we look at them. There were those who were the false friends. They came saying, hey, we're friends. And, and then later to learn, no, no, these were not friends at all. And, and sometimes we have that happen, don't we? Where someone says, oh, we worship the same God, we're friends, and that's not the case. Uh, there were the discouragers. They came in and they just had uh, nothing good to say and everything bad to say. The naysayers. There were the fear mongers. They tried to instill fear among the people. That, you know, you guys should be terrified. And then the frustrators. The, they just tried to frustrate uh, the progress of the situation. They were even hired how would you like to be a professional frustrator? <laughs> and then there were the accusers. They began to write letters, those letter writers. And they made these false accusations, sending them off to the king. And what happened as a result of that was the work stopped. Uh, things got evidently so bad that a, a decree was made that the work should be made to cease. And so work on the temple stopped for 15 years. Can you imagine being in a building process that just stops for 15 years? 15 months, maybe. Uh, 15 weeks, but 15 years. I mean, that, that's a real huge slowdown. 
and it, it stopped until the second year of a new king, King Darius. And that's where we're picking up the story. In chapter 5 of the book of Ezra, and Ezra and Nehemiah were the same book. They were one book, uh, edge to edge, in the Hebrew Bible. But we get this in the book of, he- of Ezra, chapter 5, beginning verse 1. Let's give our attention to God and hear what he has to say to us today. Now, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar, Bozani, and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus. Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this. What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews. And they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. And then in Ezra chapter 6, then Darius the king made a decree And search was made in Babylonia, in the house of the archives where the documents were stored, and in Ektaba, the citadel, that is, the province of Medea, a scroll was found on which this was written, a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozani, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do For these elders of the Jews, for the rebuilding of this house of God, the cost 
is to be paid by to these men in full without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it and his house shall be made a, a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell over, to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree, let it be done with all diligence. Now, let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is hard to imagine a moment like this. It suddenly, when, when things look so very bad, they turn around and, and they begin to look better than anyone could have possibly thought. And yet we realize the greatness of our God, the greatness of the God in that time, in that place, and that you are our God. So God, show us what you want us to receive, what you want us to apply, and how you want us to hear the things that you have breathed into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So just to back up a little bit, nothing was done from 535 to 520, and and things were just at a complete standstill. Things were stuck. And then Haggai and Zechariah began preaching. When it says they prophesied, it means they they were preaching. And they were really preaching. They were exhorting. The central message that that they were bringing, these two uh, amazing prophets, is you need to get back to work. (laughs) Fifteen years is long enough. You need to get back to work. The house of the Lord needs to be rebuilt. And you've been neglecting this. You've made excuses and you've rationalized You've, you've said, well, maybe it's not the time yet to rebuild. Well, uh, folks, it's time, is what they said. And, and, and the truth is, you've made your own homes the priority over the house of the Lord. Haggai was very confrontive about that. And, and frankly, he says, uh, the Lord says, that's why your economy's failing. That's why your crops are not producing. That's why, why your money doesn't, doesn't go very far. That's why inflation is eating you up. Is because you haven't set the right priorities. That's pay yourself first approach. It might sound good, but it it actually was being the cause of financial collapse in that day. And so they gave this bold call uh, to rebuild. And boy, was it a bold call. It was a bold message. It was a bold action that he was calling for. And it was also setting a bold priority. To make God first is always an act of boldness. It's, it's always a very bold thing uh, to do. And it was the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah that stirred up the people to respond in that way. So that's what I want to speak about. That, the series I've named uh, Building Back Boulder, and, and we're getting to the bold part uh, this weekend. 
So I, I want to ask the question, well, what is bold? What, what do we mean when we say that? Because we hear people throw that around. People talk about being bold or that's a bold look or that's a, a bold effort. Um, Robert Frost said that freedom lies in being bold. And I think we could expand that a little bit to say that any great accomplishment, any, any great uh, freedom, uh, any great invention starts with a bold idea or action. There's a time to be bold. We talk about it a lot in business, about being bold, and it usually means taking risk. There are times when you have to take risk, uh, and, and hopefully it was the right time, especially in business. Making the risk at the right time is really critical. But our culture around us also talks about boldness in a, in a different kind of way. It's come to be understood as sort of a, a brashness or a brash self-serving uh, appearance or nature. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about what I want to call biblical boldness. It's very, very different. It's not bra- a brash demand. It's not necessarily even really loud, but it is a truth that is spoken at the right time, uh, and it's spoken within the fruit of the Spirit as an expression of God's heart. I was studying this, and I came across a quote that I really like from a, a fellow that I, I knew a lot of uh, a while back in my life. I don't know if you remember a fellow named Mike Iaconelli. He was a publisher. He's gone to be with the Lord, but he was a publisher and founder of of a publishing house called Youth Specialties. If you worked with youth or were in a youth group in the 70s, 80s, or 90s, I, I can pretty much guarantee you that you worked with ideas and icebreakers and games and, and programming ideas that were from youth specialties. They were, he was kind of the guru of the new movement of, of youth ministry. Uh, and also, uh, he published uh, a publication called The Wittenberg Door, which was a parody, a comical parody within, uh, within the body of Christ. Really, it's the forerunner of, of something like the Babylon Bee today. So he, he, he was really quite a creative guy. And I love what he wrote about boldness. And, uh, and you, you should have it there, I think, in, in your notes. But um, let me just read it to you. Boldness doesn't mean rude, obnoxious, loud, or disrespectful. Uh, this sentence is so good. Being bold is being firm, sure, confident, fearless, daring, strong, resilient, and not easily intimidated. It means you're willing to go where you've never been, willing to try what you've never tried, and willing to trust what you've never trusted. Boldness is quiet, not noisy. Suppose it could be noisy sometimes, but for the most part, I think he's really captured it there. I was studying this, and I just immediately could not help but think of this lady that is probably familiar uh, to us, especially around this time of year. We think about Rosa Parks. Because on December 1st, 1955, um, she was asked to move to the back of the bus because that was the law, that was the custom uh, near Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, she was told to move, and uh, I don't know how loud she said it, but she said no. 
And boy, was that bold in that time because she was told, we're going to have to call the police and we don't know what we're going to do with you. And she probably knew that and realized that, and she ended up being arrested for refusing to move to the back of the bus. And really, she became a hallmark of the civil rights movement. Now, she might have thought, well, I can't, I can't preach like Dr. King. I, 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 can't, I can't get out and do the loud things. But boy, did she do a bold thing in that moment that began a, a process that made a big difference. You see, bold will not go unnoticed. Didn't go unnoticed for Rosa Parks. And it also wasn't going unnoticed for Zerubbabel and uh, uh, Yeshua and the others that were there. This new king uh, was uh, named Darius and the new governor was Tatanai. Uh, and it was, they call it the, the region beyond the river. That was just the way that they in Babylon were referring to Judea. But the associates of uh, Tatanai, uh, who were kind of his minions, uh, they came around and they said, Hey, where are your building permits? <laughs> See, some of you are chuckling because you, you know if you build anything, you've got to have your building permits, right? And you don't dare and you've got to have it posted and they're going to come by and look at it and they're going to come by and check it and they're going to, the inspectors, the different inspectors are going to come by. I won't tell you about my experiences with building inspectors because there might be someone here. If, any, any building inspectors here? Okay, good. I don't want to offend anybody. But it, it can be really, really a tough situation. Who authorized you to start back working on this temple? Where, where's your authorization? And then, it's so funny, and we're taking down your names. Isn't that meant to intimidate? We are getting down your, what's your name? What's your name? Boy, you ought to be scared about right now. And so Tatnai took down the names and wrote to King Darius about all this. And it must have been pretty frightening uh, that time. They, they may have even been wondering, boy, is this the right thing or not? You know, they might have asked the question, uh, had they done the right thing by restarting the project without first getting permission? They didn't have permission. They had the Lord telling them that it was time to restart. The Lord was stirring them up. Uh, but, but should they have done that? You know, sometimes today people will say, well, it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. Don't try that with a building department. <laughs> They, they listened to these preachers, and, and, and now they're in trouble. And there might have been some concern about that. Should we have listened to these preachers? And some might have argued, well, the Lord is in charge of all this, uh, not some king. Uh, but I love this verse. It's chapter 5, verse 5 that I read. But the eye of God was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped. They didn't get stopped. They were waiting for that letter to come back. They were waiting to see what was going to happen. And, and, you know, if you're going to be bold, and let me just say that building back is always going to take bold. It's what is required. And, and if, you're, if, you're, if you're going to find your bold, you're, you need to know that the eye of the Lord is watching over you. How many of you know the eye of the Lord is watching over you? If you don't get anything else, you need to know that the eye of the Lord is watching over you. So the report got to Darius, and Darius, I guess if you're a king, you make decrees. Because he made a decree to search for the decree of Cyrus. And so uh, the decree, you know, got back there, and, and, uh, and they began looking. They found it in the archives. 
You know, it was from 20 years earlier. That's a long time. It was from quite some time ago. And so the original decree of Cyrus said, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. So they had their permit. There's your permit. You got it right there. But you know what they say on TV? But wait, there's more. Why don't we say that together? But wait, there's more. Because there were a few more details that that nobody seemed to really know about. There were some specifications. It's to be 90 feet high. That's really high. That's a nine-story building. And 90 feet wide. And three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. This was a huge... I I don't want you to be building a little tiny replica. You need to rebuild the temple. And it's to be grand. Well, that's going to be expensive. Well, the cost is to be paid from the royal treasury. Tatnai, uh, the, the things that you, because the, what they would do is they would collect taxes and, and they would put it all on them. And then they got to keep a portion of that. And so Darius said, out of your portion, you're going to pay for this. It's going to come out of the tax. How would you like to go to the building department and find out, oh, we've got you all approved. And oh, by the way, the government's going to pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> say amen. <laughs> the cost is to be paid and the gold and the silver that was stolen from the temple are to be returned. And that was all. We, we read chapter 1. We know that was in the decree, the original decree. But wait, there's more. Why don't we say it again? But wait, there's more. Darius gave these instructions to Tantani. Leave the Jews alone. Stop harassing these people. Just stop it. Don't interfere. How many of you would like to hear that once in a while? And then tax money is to be used to help finance the project and provide for the temple. And then this thing, I know you heard it. Anyone who disobeys this edict will be impaled on a beam from his own house and his house will be demolished. That's what dunghill means. Demolished, taken to the ground. That's, that's pretty severe. And you can bet that nobody was wanting to interfere you know, it's amazing because Tat and I thought he was shutting down this project. And not only uh, now did he have to get out of the way, but now he had to fund it from his own tax revenues. And here's, here's the amazing thing you don't want to miss. None of this would have happened if the people of Israel had just quit in the face of the false friends and the discouragement and the fear and the disruption and the, and the, uh, and the false accusations. Haggai and Zechariah urged the people to obey God and to walk it out by faith. But that took some faith. It took some bold. And they could have lost everything. They could have lost it all. And they would have gotten nowhere if they had not started again. And what made the difference? I'm going to phrase it in an interesting way. They found their bold. That's an odd way to say that. But I think it, it grasps what we need to do many, many times. What, what is this bold thing when, when we talk about it? The dictionary, um, d- it defines bold in this way. Not hesitating or fearful in the face of actual or possible danger or rebuff. Courageous and daring. I mean, I think that's a really good uh, kind of a definition. You could also call it courage or strength or chutzpah. Or gumption. Why don't you say chutzpah with me? It's just kind of fun. Chutzpah. It's a nice Yiddish word. 
And, and they, they were bold enough to step out beyond the fear and the disruption and to disobey the governor, the government. So it raises a really important question. Uh, when do you obey and when do you defy governmental authorities? It's a question of our day, certainly. And we want to know the Bible answer, right? Not just opinions. We want to know the Bible answer. And the truth is the Bible doesn't have one simple answer. So let me read for you scriptures that you may be familiar with. Uh, Romans 13, the apostle Paul wrote, and this was during a terrible time when, when Nero was doing terrible things. He said, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. You're supposed to obey the laws of the government above you. It's the way we, we often say that. Peter said it in a way even more strongly, uh, be subject for the Lord's sake. To every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That's one of the functions of government. For this is the will of God, that by doing this, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. See, there's a purpose in it. We obey the government so that we will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, that's kind of hard to dispute in any way. Except we do find circumstances across the Scripture where God chose to have people disobey the government. And God brings it to us, breathes it upon the Scripture for us. I mean, you may already be thinking of some, but the one I first think of is the Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 1, Shifra and Puah. I'm so glad that we know their name. Uh, I, so, I mean, it's so good because they were the ones who were ordered. Uh, now, when you go... You know, Pharaoh was worried about so many uh, Hebrews and everything. And he gave this order. It's just so sick. He says, now, when you're delivering a baby, if you see, if you look, you know, you can look and see. If you see that it's a boy, kill it. If you see that it's a girl, no, no, no. We can control women. We can use women very, very well. But the boys will grow up and be warriors. We don't want them rising up against us. Kill the boys. Well, Shifra and Puah knew a whole lot better than that. Uh, it says in, in verse 17 of Exodus 1, but the midwives feared God. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> it, it's a really important principle. They feared God and did not do as the king uh, of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Now, they were called in for that. <laughs> well, you aren't doing what I commanded you to do. And the midwife said to Pharaoh, I love this answer, well... <laughs> Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are very vigorous, and they give birth, they're strong, and they give birth before the midwife even gets there. <laughs> I, I don't know that he probably liked that answer. 
So, so actually, they defied the government, and they lied. I mean, that wasn't true, but they, they lied about how that was happening. But they did the right thing. They did the bold thing. Amen? Rahab, in, in Joshua chapter 2, she was directed to, to command, um, uh, she was commanded to produce the Israelite spies who were there. She was hiding the spies. And, uh, and she was ordered to produce them. Now, when the spies came in, she had said, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, upon our people and all the inhabitants. And they're gonna, we're going to melt away before you. I want to be on the side of God. It's really important, isn't it, to be on the side of God. And so Rahab refused and, and later we find her, and she's in the lineage of Jesus. It's really quite amazing. In Hebrews, it says, by faith she refused. I mean, she's commended in what we call the hall of faith. In, in Daniel, chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've got to say that correct. Say that with me, Abednego, okay? It's not Abednego. But, but say it however you like. It'll, it'll be okay, okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they refused this order to, wor- to worship the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. And here's what they said. You know, they were going to be in trouble. They were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't even need to give you an answer. If this be so, uh, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He, he's perfectly able to do that. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We're not going to do it. We may burn up in there, but we're not going to do it. So they disobeyed. And you know, they got thrown in the fiery furnace, and and then they came out without even being singed. And oh, by the way, there was a fourth one that was in there. Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, he faced a ban on prayer. The law said, don't, you're not allowed to pray to anyone except for the king. And, and if you do, you'll be thrown into the den of lions. So he's thrown into the den of lions. And in the morning, the lions are, I don't know, singing songs or something like that. But, but they hadn't done anything to him. In the New Testament, Peter and John, they were ordered by the Sanhedrin not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They, they had healed the man that had been there outside the Golden Gate. And the Sanhedrin was all upset about this, all this Jesus stuff they were hearing about. They said, look, you can do whatever you want, but just no name of Jesus. (laughs) Well, what do you think they're going to do? What they they said was judge for yourselves. It's Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Judge for yourselves. Is is it right in in God's sight to obey you rather than God? Are we supposed to obey the government or God? For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. There's some things we cannot help. There's some things we are convicted of. So there are situations, apparently, and all of those are examples of biblical boldness against government. In this case, in our story today that we're studying, uh, the government had ordered them to shut down this temple construction. And that's what they had traveled so far to do. So the question that... To summarize that, I mean, it's a really good question for us. It's an ethics question. When do you disobey or defy the authority over you? Is it okay if the preacher says, don't, don't go down that road? Because there are preachers that will tell you almost anything, okay? 
You need to know what the Bible says, what the Word of God says. And you need to be listening to the Lord. Now, what if it's just you think it's better to disobey because I can lower my taxes or something like that? I don't know. It's more convenient for you. Here, here is just a summary. You are not called, required, or commanded to obey the government in these situations. Number one, uh, when a government authority asks or commands you to break the law of God. If the government commands you to murder, if the, if the government commands you to murder babies, you say no. No. And you, I obey God. Clearly, the law of God is above the law of man, and that's what, what uh, Peter and John were talking about. The second is when you know you are in obedience to God. In this situation, it was, it was hard because they weren't breaking the law of God, but they knew they, they were there for this purpose. They had been told, they had been commanded to rebuild the temple. And so the, these are matters of conscience where we know, I know that I'm obeying God, so I'm going to obey God. There may be a consequence for that, but I'm going to obey God. There are also matters in which uh, things are clearly unjust in, in a situation where, where the rule of the day or the law of the day is wrong, where, where people are discriminated against. We disobey, uh, and we have a willingness to take the consequences. That we call that civil disobedience, and it's how uh, social, social change you know, around us can take place. I mean, I, we can give many, many historical examples. As believers, we are called to be bold. We're called to be bold, especially in these times in which we are rebuilding. You, you may say, I've talked to so many people who have said, Pastor Jeff, this series is really helping me. I am in such a rebuilding time. I've lost so much. Maybe in family, uh, maybe in the economy, or maybe in work or career or business. And in this time of rebuilding, you, you need, we need to be bold. We need to find that. And in the face of these adversaries, and in the face of governmental intrusion, because that can be there. The Apostle Paul addressed it in Ephesians chapter 3. He said that though the church, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Listen to that sentence. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now that's talking about uh, angels and demons and all that kind of stuff. But it's also talking about rulers and authorities on this earth. We need to have, we are giving witness to the manifold witness of God. Manifold wisdom of God. And this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So biblical boldness really is very simple. It is doing the right thing for the right reason in obedience to God. I mean, that's my definition. Rosa Parks said something very similar. She said, you must never be fearful about about what you are doing when it is right. When you know it's the right thing, you do it. And that is boldness. So how do we find our bold? And that's the topic. That's, 
I, I just want to give you five biblical principles uh, real quickly. And the first is to pray. Pray for your bowl. That's something that we can do in advance. It's something that we can do in the moment when we need it. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've had to do it. You've thought, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and you prayed for your bold. You may not have phrased it that way. Psalm 138 is a psalm of David. And David wrote, when I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. Now, we don't know exactly when uh, David prayed that prayer, but he was giving this as a prayer of thanksgiving in in Psalm 138. And I can't help but think of the day that he kind of came down the hill and he looked and he looked at this guy that's nine feet tall and has armor and a giant sword and who has killed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and thought, oh, my goodness, I don't know what I've gotten myself into. Now, we don't know that he thought that. We see him, you know, with his sling and everything like that. But we know that at some point he said, when I called, you answered me and you made me bold and stout-hearted. It's really a kind of gift from God. The Hebrew word there is oz. Say that with me, oz. And it means strength of soul. So bold is not something you muster up. But it is something you can pray for in advance, and it's also something you can pray for in the moment. And the Lord gave it to him because he went, you know, at at that moment, he went running toward Goliath with with his uh, sling whirling. The second principle is to claim your righteousness in Christ. If you haven't claimed your righteousness in Christ, you're going to really be lost and flailing. You won't find any bold. Proverbs 28 says it this way, the wicked man flees, though no one pursues. That means scaredy cat. (laughs) But the righteous are as bold as a lion. If you're righteous, now you might say, "I, I don't feel very righteous, Pastor Jeff. I've messed up. You don't know how I've messed up. Your righteousness is in Christ. And you need to receive that. And receive that righteousness of Christ. The, the Hebrew word here is batak uh, in terms of the boldness of the lion. It's a confident and secure refuge. So there's a boldness that is rooted in the righteousness that he gives us in the clothing of, of the righteousness of Christ. The third principle is to put your hope in God and not anything else. People do this all the time. They put their hope just fill in the blank. My hope is in this political movement, that political movement. This leader, that leader. My hope is in this part of the economy, that part of the economy. My hope, just, just keep on going. Put your hope in God. 2 Corinthians 3 says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. You will find yourself bold if you put your hope in God. I'm not saying that the other stuff is unimportant. But if we don't have our hope in God, none of it. Is important. The Greek word for hope means confident expectation or anticipation. And the Bible says that hope does not disappoint. The fourth is to speak your bold. We have to begin to speak our bold. The witness of the believers in in the Acts uh, of the Apostles uh, is consistently described as bold every time. I mean, you just go through. Every time they open their mouths, there's a bold that is there. 
Acts 28, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The Greek word means frankness, bluntness, outspoken, confidence. You might say, well, but I'm just not wired that way. I'm kind of shy. I don't put words together. God will say, that's irrelevant. I'm going to give you the bold. And sometimes it isn't words at all. Sometimes it's refusing to get up from your seat on the bus. It's doing the right thing at the right time. But we speak our bold. We proclaim. First Thessalonians 2. But even after we had suffered before we were spitefully treated, uh, and we were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul was in Philippi, and he was beat up and, and driven out, put in jail there. Uh, and then in, he was left town, and then in Thessal- Thessaloniki, uh, he came and he proclaimed with boldness, even though those bad things had happened to him. The fifth principle is to put your bold into action. Really, it's like any other gift. Uh, if you receive a gift of the Spirit, and then you say, oh, I just love this, I'm going to put it in a box. No, you exercise a gift. You exercise the fruit of the Spirit, and you will grow in those things. And so we put bold into action, Philippians 1. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So there's a boldness that comes and goes. And this is actually a stronger word. Uh, It means, it's from the root telos, which means end, like a telescope. Bold to the end, courageous, daring, boldness in the extreme. Acts 19 says it this way, And he entered the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly with that boldness toward the end, reasoning and persuading with them about the kingdom. And the truth is, it doesn't matter how you're wired, if you feel like you're kind of a meek person, or you feel like you're young or you're too old, or anything like that. You know, I learned something this week. I was doing a little study. I got kind of fascinated and interested uh, about Rosa Parks. And I learned something I didn't know. You may maybe knew this, but there was a younger woman named Claudette Colvin, uh, age 15. And she was actually arrested for refusing to move to the back of the bus nine months before Rosa Parks. A teenager. And the story is amazing. Uh, she said that she was on the bus and she was studying. And she was write, trying to write a paper about civil rights. And the the African-American lady next to her was pregnant. So they're sitting there together just on the bus. And they came and said, you two are going to have to move to the back of the bus. And the pregnant lady said, no. And she said, so I said, no. We encourage one another toward boldness. What a powerful thing. What a powerful moment. But the truth is, rebuilding will always require us to find our bold. No no matter what it is, uh, rebuilding, change, freedom, walking in the plan of God, it's always going to require us to find our bold. So my question as I close is, are you ready to find and take hold of your bold? (laughs) You can make a song out of that, couldn't you? It's a nice rhyme. I want to invite you to pray out of these scriptures 
And I've written a, a prayer, and it just is out of the scriptures. And I invite you to stand, and let's, uh, I invite you, if you're comfortable to stand, uh, to join me. I need to pray this, and so I invite you to pray with me. Ready? Lord, I confess that I have failed to walk in boldness at times when you have called me. I have failed to be bold at times when the body of Christ has needed me. Forgive me. I pray that you will make me bold to do or say the right thing at the right time. As you lead me, make me stout-hearted for those moments and times. I receive the righteousness that you have provided by your sacrifice on the cross. I have no righteousness of my own, but I walk trusting you to make me as bold as a lion. I put my hope in you and all that you have promised. I know that as I hope in you, I will never be disappointed. Give me courage to speak your gospel in every situation to which you call me. May I speak the truth clearly and in love. Show me how you would have me put faith into bold action. May I be courageous in you, trusting in your strength in Jesus' name. Father God, I thank you so much for your love and patience toward us. And that you, you really ask so little except that we offer ourselves. And so we do that. And we pray that we might take hold of our bold for the things that confront us, for the days that we are in, for the moments that are ahead, the week that is ahead. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.